Lord, we pause in your presence at this very moment. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do. We thank you for the opportunity to stand in this holy place and one more time expound the unsearchable riches of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. You're the strength of my life. You're the Lord of my life. And I need your help today, and I ask you to touch me as I preach to these people about the wonderful works of God and the gift of salvation which is wrought in Jesus Christ. You're our God, and beside you there is none other. Amen and amen. Mark chapter 5, we find some great gospel truth about how the Lord came and did mighty things for a lot of folks. How that he, the Bible said he went about doing good. You believe that Jesus was one who would do you good? He went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil because God was with him. God was with him. God was not only with him, but God empowered him, gave him strength and gave him energy and power that we could become the sons of God. As many as believed on his name, the Bible said, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Well, the whole region around the Sea of Galilee was a buzz with all the news about this new rabbi, this new rabbi from Nazareth of all places, and the statement was made, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Talk about overcoming who you were and who, where you were born and who your family was and all that. It's astonishing to the crowd that Jesus had anything to say that was of any worth because Nazareth wasn't really a place that was well thought of. Hey, some of you might have grown up in Podunk. Some of you may have come from a community that everybody thought well, not much to it, not much could come out of there. But Jesus overcame all of that because his words were so powerful and anointed that the Bible said nobody could resist his words. In fact, soldiers who came to arrest him one time said, never a man spake like this man. This man, this God-man is recorded for us in his activities and his words that he spoke are in what we call the Gospels. There's four of them, right? Can you name them? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right. Matthew's perspective was he looked at Jesus as the rightful heir of David's throne. God had given David a promise that a member of his family would always be on the throne in Israel. Wow, what a promise that was. So for Jesus to be the messianic promise and to be the king of kings and lord of lords, he had to be a descendant of David, a part of David's family. So Matthew's whole quest is to teach us that Jesus was the rightful heir to David's throne. Mark was all about Jesus as the humble servant of Jehovah, that he'd come as an obedient servant sent from the Father, sent with a mission, sent with a purpose, and that is to purchase our redemption. Luke, his perspective was that of Jesus as the Son of Man and the humanity of Jesus, the Christmas story, all of those things that only a doctor would include the minute, minute specific details about Jesus' life. So Luke's gospel is about Jesus being the Son of Man, 
The Gospel of John is not called a synoptic. There are only three synoptic Gospels, and the Gospel of John is not included in those Gospels. It's because John's purpose and John's perspective has no uh, parables in it, and it lacks many of the other things that the synoptics have because John's perspective was Jesus as the Son of God. He began his gospel by saying, in the beginning, just like Genesis, in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he never gave any kind of justifying for any other premise, just here it is. Just like in Genesis when the Bible said, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. That's the way it starts. No explanation, no definition, just in the beginning, God. John began the same way. It begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the 14th verse says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father. And then that verse in Romans that tells us that He was the propitiation for our sin. That means that he was the settlement. What was owed was a sin debt, and Jesus became the propitiation. It comes from a Greek word which means to, to work it out. He worked out our redemption through his sacrificial offering at Calvary's cross. And there are so many individuals that were benefited by coming in contact. In fact, the Bible verse that tells us that if all that he did and all that he said were written down, there is not a library in the world that could contain the books. Wow, I must have kind of struck a nerve with you. That kind of astonished you. All that Jesus did and all that he said, if written down, no library would contain the books. So what Mark's quest was here in his, his synoptic gospel was to condense down and say what he wanted to say and include what he wanted to include, but he had to do that at the expense of so many other things. So he put down what he felt like was necessary in his gospel to illustrate his point. And the whole book of Mark is about authority. It's about authority that never a man spake like this man. It's about people who kneel when they come into his presence like... Uh, People of royalty expect from their subjects. And when people came to Jesus in the book of Mark, oftentimes they would come running and they would come kneeling at his feet. And we have some examples of that today in our, in our text. Mark 5 is a, a very important, but you can't understand Mark 5 until you fully understand Mark 4. Because Mark 4 is about Jesus and about his dealing with a storm and dealing with a, a difficulty and a peril that was at sea. And he, he had said, let us go over unto the other side. If Jesus says, let us go over to the other side, buy you a ticket. Well, I don't know if the weather's pretty bad. Hey, Jesus did not say, let us sink in the sea as we go over. He said, let us go over to the other side. If Jesus says, I'm on the ship with you and the ship is going to the other side, then praise God, take faith because you're going to make it. 
I said, take faith because you're going to make it. It's not going down. It's going over, and it's going to get to where Jesus said go. He said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now, you have to understand there are many things that we think are urgent, but they're not important. There's this old adage and this descriptive, debatable term about urgent and important. And so many times we establish priorities that emphasize the uh, necessity of the urgent at the expense of the important. In fact, we look at a lot of people and a lot of people we know we call them important. A lot of people that we meet we think are of high standing and we give more weight to their persona and to the being in their, in their presence. But I want to tell you, Jesus is not limited by the priorities that we establish. And Jesus' power is not limited by our estimation of who matters and who don't matter. Amen. Sometimes the Lord has to rearrange our priorities in order to lead us into a deeper revelation and to a deeper knowledge and a deeper power, a more greater view of who he is and what he means to us. Sometimes we just get bogged down because our priorities aren't in the right place. Sometimes we think something is urgent, but really it don't matter, it's not important. We're working on things that God doesn't care a whole lot about, but we do. Have you ever found yourself in conflict with what God thought was a priority, but you didn't take it as a priority? Well, I want to tell you, until you get your priorities aligned with God's purpose, until you get your urgent things submitted to what really matters, then God is going to be ill-equipped to help you. And you've misunderstood a lot of things along the way in your walk with the Lord and thought they were urgent when they really weren't very important at all. And they didn't satisfy you and they didn't bring you the peace that you thought you were seeking for. And they didn't give you the, 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 the mindset, the, the perspective of, of blessing that you really wanted to happen in your life because you were working on something that really wasn't a part of God's priority for you. And oftentimes you left a place of assignment because you thought something was urgent that pulled you away from that place when it really wasn't important at all. Some of you have let people and their estimation of you cause you to establish priorities that God really didn't have for you. Oftentimes you've allowed people to put restraints upon you by their opinions and their perspectives of you that have hindered you and paralyzed you from becoming what God really wants you to become. God has a purpose for everybody in this house. Every one of you in this house today, you're important to God and God knows you specifically and he knows you minutely. Everything about you, God is concerned about all of the things that are about you. He loves you and he knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your intentions 
He knows the things that you dream of that you wish were a reality. He knows about all of those things. And he oftentimes tries to check you when you're about to make a move because you've overestimated the value of something and felt like it was urgent when it really wasn't all that important. Now, Mark 5 has this story about, about Jesus teaching and, and preaching and, and Jesus doing all of these great things. And there's a man, a very important man. He was a ruler in the synagogue. And the Bible said he came running to Jesus. And when he got to Jesus, he fell at his feet. What does that say? It says this man realized he was in the presence of someone who was greater than him. He realized that he was in the presence of one who had authority. And this Jairus had faith to speak positive things. He knew what was urgent and he knew what was important and he knew if I can just get Jesus on board with my thinking, then great things can happen for me. Some of you sitting here are struggling because you're trying to get Jesus on board. And you're trying to get Jesus to buy your bill of goods. And you're trying to sell your, come on somebody, and put a label on it, it is of God. It's a, here's one, it's a God thing. Well, is it your thing or a wow thing? Or is it a God thing? And you've been working so hard and struggling and feeling ill at God and telling him he didn't love you like he ought to because he wouldn't give you what you want. And you've been trying to get him on board with something that he says, hey, that's not important. You don't need that. Why is that so urgent to you? Why are you spending so much energy and so much time investing in something that's not really important? Oh, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. When Jairus came to Jesus, he said to Jesus, he said, Lord, my, my daughter is critically ill and she's going to die if you don't come and heal her, then she's going to die. And I'm desperate. I'm a father. I love her. Yes, I'm a ruler at the synagogue, but I'm also a father. I'm a pastor of the church, but I've also got a daughter who is sick. Yes, I'm in a place of authority. Yes, I'm a ruler at the synagogue, but I hurt like everybody else, and I've got a problem that all of the ceremonial ritual of the synagogue won't do what I need it to do. All of my knowledge of the law and all the ceremony and all of the ritual things that I do at the synagogue, I realize they can't help my daughter. And I've got to go outside of what I have done my whole life and I've got to make a, make a change in what I've trusted all of my life. And I've got to go to Jesus. And I've got to say to Jesus, I realize that you're a person of authority. That you've got power to heal. You've got power to change the outcome of circumstance. And I need you to come to my house. I need you to come to my home. I need you to come to my family. There's something that I need to be done that won't happen any other way except you come. Wow. 
So the Bible said, and Jesus arose and went with him. Wow. You mean Jesus answers the petition of a desperate heart? In fact, the Bible said he is nigh unto them who are of a broken spirit and a contrite spirit. Those that are, are broken. You mean broken people can come to Jesus and he's near to broken people? You mean people that, whose lives have been mesmerized and have been destroyed and fractured and all kinds of evil and things? Though broken people, broken marriage, broken health, broken relationship, broken family, they can go to God and he will hear their cry? Touch your neighbor and say, I told you you're important. You're important. And you're sitting beside somebody else that's important. Because everybody seated in this room is important to God. You may not matter to this world. You may not matter. You may just be a number on a social security card as far as the United States government is concerned. But to God, you're a real live person. You're a person whose heart beats. You're a person who struggles. You're a person who has emotions. You're a person who, who hurts. You're a person who feels. And he loves you. And when you pour out your heart as Jairus did, he'll get up and say, well, let's go. You need me to come to your house? Well, let's go. You got a daughter that's sick and you believe that I can heal her? Let's go. You got a situation, a catastrophe looming at home and nothing else can help and you're on your last uh, effort, let's go. And the Bible said, so Jesus got up and started toward Jairus' house. Wow. And do you know what happened? A whole multitude of people said, I've got to go see this. This is better than Barnum and Bailey. This is better than Saturday Night Live. This is better than entertainment tonight. I believe I'm going to go see. He said he's going over there. I've seen him do great things. I've seen him cleanse lepers. I've seen him open blind eyes. I've seen him do great things. Let's go and watch and let's see what's going on here. And the Bible said the, the crowd began following and walking along with Jairus and Jesus. JJ, Jairus and Jesus. And the Bible said that as they were on their way, there was a little woman. A little woman. A woman, pay, pay attention to me now. Don't look at anything but me. There was a little woman, the Bible said she had an issue of blood. She was a hemorrhaging person. She was losing blood profusely. I knew nothing about what to do or how to remedy her situation. Can I ask you a question? Look at me right in the eyes. Was she important? No, 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 no. She's not the important one. We're on a mission. We're going to Jairus' house. We're going to have a, have a big miracle. This woman here, we've known her for 20 years. We see her at the drugstore all the time buying new medicine. I've seen her down at the doctor's office two or three times. In fact, every time I change doctors, I find out she's been there too. I saw her down at the bank trying to borrow money the other day because she said she didn't have any more. 
She's unimportant. We're on, we're on an important mission here. We're on, we're on a synagogue mission. We're on this level up here. This, this little lady here, she don't matter. She don't matter. Let's go. Don't pay any attention to her. We gotta, gotta be, that girl might die if we don't get there in time. We, we gotta get to where she is. We gotta go to where, where that girl is. Let's go. You ain't got time to fool with that woman. Let's go. But the Bible said that little woman said if I can touch his clothes. If I can just get close enough to him that I can touch his clothes, I know in my spirit, I know in my heart that I will be healed of this issue, that nothing else can help, that doctors can't help, medicine can't help. I've got a dilemma that I must get freed from. There's a chain of bondage on me, and my whole life is dominated by this thing. How am I going to get deliverance if I can just touch him. And the Bible said, and Jesus stood still. What was it that stopped Jesus while he was on an important mission? The priority is Jairus. I'm working on a, on a big thing. I, I may get a promotion at the synagogue because of this. I may gain some credence with the Jewish aristocracy if I go and re heal this girl. If I, if I can just do some things that they, they know takes a miracle and they observe my authority and see my power then it'll, 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 it'll lift me up and it will cause me to be thought of better by the people at the synagogue and the people at the temple. I'm doing something important. I can't be bothered. But Jesus stood still. And suddenly he turned and said, who touched me? Oh, Lord, you're in a throng of people. There are folks hustling and bustling all around you. There are folks elbowing to get a better position to see in this crowd. And you, you, you said somebody's touched you. He said, no, that wasn't just an accidental touch. Somebody touched me on purpose because I feel that out of my body, there is gone healing virtue that's changed somebody's life. Somebody's desperation has been changed. Somebody's hopelessness has been changed. Someone has had a transformation. And this little woman spoke up and she said, it was me, Lord. I'm the one that touched you. And he said to her, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Wow, what a wonderful miracle took place for that woman who nobody really cared about and nobody really thought was important, but Jesus stood still. Here comes a runner, a messenger, and he runs up to Jairus, and he says, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble Jesus any further. What terrible news. While helping someone find deliverance and finding healing, the purpose of his mission had died. Don't bother Jesus anymore. She's dead. There's no need for you to go. And Jesus looked at Jairus. 
and said what every struggling person needs to hear. Be not afraid. Why is our instant response to a word from the Lord fear? Why is it that fear, something we don't understand, something that is so much bigger than we are, we usually recoil from that and draw back? But he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. Believe. And the Bible said Jesus looked at the circus crowd and he looked around at the entertainment folks and he turned around at the celebrities and he said, you people need to go back because you're not going where I'm going. I need people around me who are people of faith. I need people around me who understand who I am. I need people around me who know that I am on a mission. And he told the crowd, and you can't go. You see, if if you're serving the Lord for the fishes and the loaves, if you're serving the Lord for the miracle atmosphere, then Jesus says, then you don't know me. I need people who know me because I'm going to do something for Jairus that's bigger than he's ever believed for before. I'm going to take him to a revelation in me that is greater than he's ever known me before. I'm going to carry him to a place where he is going to see and it will be revealed to him that I'm more than just a healer. I'm a resurrection and a life that if any man believe in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. So when Jesus... me to tell you that he's leading some of you today. You think you're stopped somewhere and stuck somewhere and God wants to take you to a deeper revelation. He wants to take you to a deeper power. He wants to take you to a, a greater love than you've ever known before. He wants to ramp up things. He wants to intensify things. He wants a fervency in your relationship with him and he's trying his best to get you there but you've not put the importance on what God is putting on as important. You have other urgencies. Come on, somebody. Other urgencies. But the Lord says, if I can ever get them to this place, then they're going to see and know me in a way they've never known me before. They get to the house, and the mourners are wailing and weeping. Oh, boy, there's a bunch of them in there. How bad it is. We're destroyed. It's the end. We're done for. We're finished. It's no hope. And when Jesus got there, he said, Why are you weeping? This little girl is not dead. She's sleeping. And the Bible said, and they laughed him to scorn. Would you call it a horse laugh? Have you ever heard somebody just 
uh, look at something so absurd and so ridiculous, they just burst out laughing at it. So It was so comical that you're so stupid you would make a statement like that. And Jesus looked at him and said, get out of here. The Bible said he put them out of the house. Put your shin guards on. Some of you need to put some things out of the house that's been making fun of your faith and some things that's been a drag on your faith and your walk with the Lord. You need to open the door and say, get out of here. Some of those things that you put up high on the priority list that you thought were urgent, that you thought that you just had to do and had to have and had to see and had to participate in, and I got to go this and I got to buy that and I've got to sign that over and I got to get this done. And God is saying, get that stuff out of the house. I'll do great things. I will revive dead things if you'll get all the negative, pessimistic, fault-finding things out of the house. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. And then he said, here, Jairus, took him by the hand. He said, take your wife by the hand. He took her by the hand. He said, Peter, James, John, I'm taking you to a place where you're going to find out something about me you've not seen before. And I expect you to grow in this. And the Bible said he took him by the hand and went into the room where the little girl was. And the Bible said he took her by the hand. And he said, Talitha, kumai, which means, daughter, I say unto thee, arise. There are some things that when I say them, hell isn't all that much disturbed. There are some things that when I talk and I say, it makes little difference who hears it or what their response is. But when Jesus speaks, when Jesus speaks, lepers are cleansed, blind eyes begin to see, deaf ears begin to hear. Lepers look at their skin and see skin as it was a baby's skin. When Jesus says, be made whole, or Jesus says, be healed, but when he says, arise, then praise God, there is a resurrection that takes place. Lives experience brand new life. That little girl suddenly got up from that bed, and the Bible said, and she began to walk about. Praise God. You see, when you put first things first, get things in proper order. And uh, I'm a little sorry. I got this message just a little bit out of order. I went down to the meat of the thing. Start at chapter 1. Can we do that? Sometimes I'm a little guilty of getting in too deep before I wade in. I, don't, I jump in on the deep end sometimes. Five and one. And they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Next verse. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure 
Your King James says unclean. The New American Standard Version says filthy spirit. An unclean spirit, an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Wow. When Jesus got off the boat, he was met with another man who had surrendered his whole life to the authority of a spirit that is called unclean, foul, filthy, impure, a controlling, manipulating spirit that had taken up residence in him. He dwelt out among the tombs, the Bible said. He spent his time in dead places with dead people. Some of you have come to this service today. Some of you have been tomb dwellers at times in your life. You were running around with other dead people. What was that tomb? Was it drug addiction? What was that tomb? Was it alcoholism? What was that tomb? Was it pornography? What was that tomb where, where you lived in? Was it gambling? Was it anger? What was that tomb that, where you used to hang out? Before you point your finger at this poor fella, realize that before Jesus found you, you were a tomb dweller too. I said you were a tomb dweller too. Dwelt among the tombs. And when he realized that Jesus got out of the boat, that man with the impure spirit from the tombs came down to meet him. Now here's the legend of Gadara. It was in the region of Decapolis. It was in an area where there were 10 cities. Decapolis means 10. 10 cities that were in league in the region here of Gadara. This man had a reputation. Everybody knew him. He kept everybody up at night because all night he was in the mountain screaming, squeaking, letting out those blood-curdling screams of anguish and terror. Every day, the whole area was terrorized by the insanity of the screaming and the cries and the anguish of this man. Everybody was afraid of him. Every day the blacksmith would beat and hammer away at new shackles that would be placed upon him to try to restrain him, but he'd just break them into pieces. Every day the blacksmith would hammer away, making a chain to put on him that would restrain him and hold him maybe in one of those tombs where he can't keep us up all night. But he'd just break the chains and throw them off of him. He was bound by something greater than a chain. He was bound by something greater than shackles and handcuffs. He was bound by something greater than fetters or imprisonment. There was a bondage in his heart and in his life that was so terrible that his whole life was consumed by the presence of that spirit on the inside of him. He would terrorize the whole place. And every time a ship would come, 
When that ship would dock in that port and the people would get off, he'd run down out of the mountain screaming with terror to scare the strangers away. No one would come to see them because the terrorist had run everybody off. You probably know people that they've run off everybody with their terror. Such fear and fright of their terrorist activity. But he didn't realize when he started charging down the mountain to run down to scare off another visitor to Gadara that he was going to encounter one who had more power than what had him bound. And as he ran down to the seashore, Jesus had just stepped from the boat. And when he got in the presence of Jesus, the Bible said, like Jairus, he fell down at his feet because he realized someone greater than I am. Someone greater than my bondage. Someone greater than my obsession. Someone greater than my terror. Someone greater than all of my fears. And he bowed in his presence and he said, Oh, Jesus, thou Son of God, art thou come to torment me? And Jesus just simply said, Come out of him, thou unclean spirit. I'm going to tell you something. I love it when Jesus speaks with authority. I love it when Jesus doesn't come with a mamby-pamby, pablum toast prayer when I'm being terrorized by something that the devil has concocted and schemed to bring about my demise. Oh, Jesus said, come out of him. And the Bible said, and I looked in Weist word studies of the Greek New Testament, and it, that verb is imperfect. It says this, he kept on saying, oh, Jesus, please don't torment us. Oh, Jesus, please don't torment us. Oh, Jesus, please don't torment us. It was repetitive. He just kept repeating it over and over again. But the verb that Jesus used for come out of him, abazo, is imperfect also. Because every time the devil said, please don't terrorize us, Jesus said, come out of him. Jesus, please don't terrorize us. Come out of him. Jesus, don't torment us. Come out of him. And the Bible said, finally, they changed their tune. And they said, would you give us permission? Please don't run us out of this region. Please don't make us leave this, this region. Would you give us permission to just go into this herd of swine? What was that? Pigs? Hogs? Pork? Ham? Sausage? <laughs> Woo! The whole country of the Gadarenes 
they weren't Jewish. They were Gentile because, hey, you won't find a herd of pigs in Israel. No, they don't eat pork. And they think it's unclean, it's filthy, it's unfit to eat. They don't eat pork. You can do no more, no more insult than to call uh, an Israeli uh, a keeper of a herd of pigs. So they weren't Israelitish. They weren't Jewish. But how did this guy know that Jesus was the Son of God? How did he know who he was and where he'd come from? Could it be possible that he'd been banished? Could it be possible that his people couldn't stand him anymore and had him put away? Could it be that here was a Jewish guy who knew who Jesus was that was living in the land of pork and sausage eaters? And they weren't just casual about that. It was the chief export of their country. It was the one thing. It was the chief industry. It was the biggest money maker in all. In fact, 2,000 head of pigs is what the herd was. And there were people that were assigned. You take care of the pigs. They were herdsmen of the pigs. In today's economy, that was worth about $2 million worth of pig. That's a lot of ham hocks. And Jesus gave them permission. Now, I want you to see something really good here. If you've ever been with me to Israel, you know that the Sea of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret is a bowl. Mountains all the way around it and the water. It's 682 feet deep at its deepest point. It's about 17 miles long, about 9 miles wide. So to call it a sea is a little bit of a reach. Big lake, yeah. When Jesus said, let's go over to the other side, he didn't tell the disciples what we're going to do. And, oh yes, he left out a real factor of the, of the story. A storm. A storm. A susmos. It means similar to a hurricane where you have updraft and you have downdraft in so much that the waves become so unruly and angry that they will fill a boat and sink it. And in the way that this is worded in the Greek, it's as if the wind was taking the water and throwing it in the boat with them. Now all the while in this storm, Jesus is asleep. Jesus is asleep. He's on a cushion in the stern, which is the hinder part of the ship, asleep. And they finally decide, we better wake him up. What does that mean? That means we're done. We're toast. If this resurrecting guy can't do something for us, we're going down to a watery grave. Wake up, Jesus, wake up! And Jesus stood up and he looked at the wind and he looked at the waves. And the Bible said, and he rebuked the wind. And he rebuked the waves. I think what Jesus actually rebuked was not necessarily the wind and the waves, but the danger 
of what Satan was trying to use to kill the disciples. And when Jesus said this, peace, be still. The Bible said, and there was a great calm. Touch your neighbor, say, I told you you're important. Can you believe that Jesus was willing? Well, brother, how did Jesus know about this guy? How did Jesus, did anybody else on that whole place get saved? Just one. How did Jesus know him? If you've been with me over there, you know how sound carries in that basin that's called the Sea of Galilee Basin. And they were on the on the eastern shore of the lake and the Bible tells us that Jesus' custom was at evening he would go pray. He would go into the mountain to pray. And the Bible also tells us that his custom was as the sun was coming up every morning he would go into the mountain to pray. He prayed in the morning and he prayed in the evening. He prayed when the sun went down. He prayed when the sun came up. He prayed every day, morning and night. So when Jesus was up there praying, Legion was screaming and hollering and yelling and screeching. Have you ever tried to pray while the devil was yelling? Have you ever tried to pray when the devil was screaming and screeking? Have you ever tried to pray? Oh, my Lord, I'm preaching this morning. Have you ever tried to pray? And you went to the mountain to pray, but the devil went to the mountain to scream and holler. And Jesus, on this particular day, said, my intention is to go find that guy and stop his screaming. You mean as a person that is unimportant, as a guy that nobody cares about, everybody's afraid of him, nobody would give him the time of day, nobody wants to fool with him, nobody wants to know him, he hadn't got a friend in the world, nobody loves him, nobody cares about him, and he's a terrorist, he terrorizes everybody around him. He makes life miserable for everybody. Jesus said, I got to go find him. I got to go find him. And I can go and loose him from that chain. Not the one the blacksmith makes, but the one the devil has placed upon his life. And if I can, if I can deliver him from that binding spirit, then praise God, I can stop the screaming and I can stop the terror. Oh, praise God. There may be some of you that have made port here today at Harvest Port. And there's a pastor here. His name is Preacher. And he owns a ship also, and it's called Gospel. And that Gospel ship has carried him to the shore of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Glory. Yeah. 
And besides dead pigs washing up on your beach, a gospel preacher has come to say that if you will, you can be rid of the terror. If you want to be free from the terror, you can be free from the terror. If you want to be released from the chains, you can be released from the chains. If you want to be delivered from the screaking and the yelling and the screaming and the terror and the anguish of your life, you can be free. For those chains that seem to bind you will fall powerless behind you when you praise and recognize that he's the Son of God. Oh, I'm going to take a trip in a good old gospel ship. I'm glad I've got a gospel ship to sail on, aren't you? Praise God, you're fortunate that that ship has made port in your heart today. And you're fortunate that this gospel is being preached to you today, informing you that you can be free. You can be a child of God. You can be no longer a slave to sin and fear. You can be delivered and be a child of God this morning. Well, come on, Connor, and help me quit. I see I'm getting hungry out there. Well, here comes the town council. And they come down to Jesus. And they say to Jesus, the Bible said they came to see what had happened. When they realized what had happened, they realized that those dead pigs' carcasses floating down there on the beach was their $2 million business. And they said, we're more interested in sausage than we are salvation. We're more interested in making money than we are people getting saved. We're more interested in becoming prosperous than we are in folks getting delivered from fear and terror. And they said, Jesus, we want you to leave our country. We want you to depart from here. And Jesus said, all right, the one I came for has received what he needed. And as Jesus went down to the ship to get in the ship to pull out, he found a strange disciple sitting there saying, Jesus, I'm going back home. I'm going back with you. I'm going back to Israel. I'm going back where I belong. The Bible said he was clothed, which insinuates that before he got saved, he was running around naked. And there's got to be some wisdom somewhere in that. Clothed and in his right mind, insinuating that before Jesus delivered him, he was insane and couldn't think for himself. But now here he sits, clothed in his right mind, and he says, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to be a disciple. I want to be one of those preachers that preaches this gospel. Like 2,000 years from now, Jerry Irwin will stand at 520 Golden Springs Road and preach a gospel. I want to be a preacher of the gospel, he said. 
And Jesus looked at him and he said these words to him. He said, no, you need to stay. And you need to go all over this country and tell people what great things. Somebody say great things. What great things. Say it again, great things. Great things God has done for you. God gave disciples faith to go. He gave legion grace to stay. Some of you are sitting here today saying, should I leave or should I stay? Should I go? But I want to tell you, grace to stay. God's grace is sufficient. Don't let the devil steal from you something God gave you. Don't let the devil separate you from things that you've loved and cherished because of a temporary situation. He'll give you the grace that you need to stay and see the salvation of the Lord. He can give you that grace. Stand with me, please. Well, I'm tempted. Tempted to do what, Pastor? Get Linda back up here and sing some more of that he thought I was to die for. He thought I was worth keeping. I must have been important to him. I must have been important to him. He took those disciples through that storm to get to that one guy. He must have been important to him. When you really think about it, what did God do to get to you? What did God do to get to you? God would not be dissuaded from getting to you because he loved you, cared for you, and wanted to make you free. Is there anybody here today that you yearn to be free, you want to be free? Is there people here today that you've been struggling, you've been fighting a battle with some things that you've been making them urgent when they're really not all that important and you wonder why God's not getting on board God is saying to you today if you'll just come and get on board with me I'll take you to a place of freedom rather than going your way if you'll go my way and let me direct your steps let me show you the way then I'll take you to a place of freedom I'll take you to a place of joy and peace. I'll take you to a place where my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Hallelujah. Well, I feel like praying a prayer. Is it all right? Well, then you come up here with me then so we can pray together. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. It won't be long, I promise. I know Golden Corral just brought the kid chicken out. Come here, Rose. Come on up here close to me, girl. What are we going to do on the second Sunday in March, Rose? Getting baptized. You're going to get what? Baptized. Baptized. I'm excited. You know what baptism means, Rose? It means by immersion. I'm going to let you down in that water which symbolizes that the old rose is dead. And when I bury you in those waters of baptism, it's as if you're saying, I'm not, that person's dead. I'm not that person anymore. 
Don't act like that person. Don't do what that person did. And then I'm going to bring you up out of that water. And I'm going to stand you upright, a new creature in Christ Jesus, to walk in newness of life. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, that's important that you make a public statement to everybody. Jesus is the Lord of my life. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I've accepted His blood. He paid a debt He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. But I was important enough to Him that He went and paid it all for me. I said He paid it all for me. Paid it all for me. All to Him I owe. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it as white as snow. And now there's no power. Can you say no power? There's no authority. No authority that is above his power and his authority. Where's Cindy? Come here, Cindy. What do poor people have that rich people need that's greater than the power of God and greater than the evil of sin? Nothing. What? Nothing. Nothing? Did she say nothing? There's nothing more powerful than God there's nothing greater than the evil of sin. Poor people have a lot of it, nothing. And rich people need it, <laughs> nothing. Hallelujah. They stumped me on a little riddle last night. I was searching for the punchline and I never got it got to have an IQ of at least a 50, I guess, to get that one. Nothing. Nothing greater than God's power. Nothing greater than God's power. It'll be a great day in your life when you realize there's nothing greater than God's power. It'll be a great day in your prayer life when you realize there's nothing greater than God's power. It'll be a great day in your walk with God when you realize there's nothing greater than God's power. He heals all of our diseases. I said he heals all of our diseases and he pardons all of our iniquities. All of our iniquities. And I want to tell you this morning that it's not the will of God that anything should have dominion over you. It's not the will of God that you would be a slave to anything. God doesn't want anything to rule over you. God doesn't want anything to have power over you. Not a habit. Not an addiction. Nothing. God does not want you to be bound by anything. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free. Hallelujah. And if God be for us, who could be against us? If God is on our side, if God is fighting for us, if God thinks 
that we're worth keeping. If God thinks we're to die for, if God thinks that we're worth saving, then I will not worry about what man may say or do to or about me because the Lord is the strength of my life and the Lord is my light, and the Lord is my salvation. Of whom shall I fear, or of what shall I be afraid? Of what shall I be in bondage to? If He wills for me to be free, if it's His purpose and His plan for me to be free and live in liberty and freedom, then why should I be bound by anything? Why should I let anything make a slave out of me? Say it with me. God, in Jesus' name, I declare my freedom for any and all devices and bondages that Satan may impose upon me. In Jesus' name, I'm free, free, free to be what God wants me to be. His will is my will. His plan is my plan. His purpose is my purpose. In Jesus' name, that's how I'll live. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for freedom in Jesus. Thank you for my freedom and deliverance from all the power of the enemy. No weapon. Can anybody say no weapon? No weapon, no weapon, no scheme, no plan that the devil has will work on me in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Can't take me till God gets ready for me has to get permission. Glory to God, because he is the authority. Don't you ever forget, Mark is a book about authority. He has authority. He says to lepers, be thou clean, and they're clean. Says to a blind man, Bartimaeus, Lord, what, what? He said, what do you want me to do, Bartimaeus? He said, I want my sight. And Jesus said, I will, and healed him. I will. In fact, Jesus says it this way, then we'll go. Whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it. Alma, that means healing for your legs. Whatsoever we ask in his name, I will do it. I will do it. You got an impossible situation? Whatsoever you ask in his name, he'll do it. Got a need that you need to be supplied? Whatsoever you ask in his name, I will do it. Got a problem you just can't solve? Whatever you ask in his name, he will do it.